0: Most shareholders want to be able to be proud of the companies they own. It's not just that these companies are contributing to our, our wealth or our, you know, for some people it's their pension, but you want to feel that you're providing capital for something that is worthwhile, as well as they are quitting themselves in a way that will keep you know, meet your expectations.
1: Hello and welcome to the 2020 season of AGM Watch brought to you by the Australian Shareholders Association. Each year we monitor the performance of most of Australia's top 200 companies, protecting the rights of retail shareholders with a dedicated team of volunteer company monitors. Fiona Belzer is the Policy and Advocacy Manager at the ASA. Hi, Fiona.
0: Hi Phil, how are you going?
1: We're going to be talking about the upcoming AGM season and especially what it means for members who want to make sure that their savings and super is invested in companies that are acting ethically, responsibly, and in the interests of all shareholders. Sefiona, so what are we expecting this season?
0: Okay, this season I think it's going to be a little bit different from previous seasons. Always in the season, it starts out slowly. There's just a few companies with AGMs in September, and then it picks up speed until we're having hundreds in October and November and December. So it started out slowly, but of course, COVID, the impact of COVID, that's going to be a thing. We've also seen some issues for particular companies coming up. All we know is that we need to be prepared and we need to be ready to evaluate all the notices of meeting as they come out, which is 28 days before the AGMs. And to actually judge those resolutions on their merits, in, in accordance with our guidelines.
1: How long's the association been doing these this sort of company monitoring?
0: Well, this is our 60th uh, year of existence. We've been attending AGMs and crying out for uh, retail shareholders to have a fair fair hearing at AGMs and a fair hearing with companies for those 60 years. Particularly, uh, I think going into the 80s, just before the recession we had to have and other big company failures and um, egregious behaviors. It was a
1: particular time, the 80s, wasn't it, for uh, company behaviour?
0: Yes, it was. And uh, people were generally pulled into the market. You know, remember the likes of, say, Alan Bond, where for a while it was seen that maybe Bondcourt was a blue chip company. That's when the ASA was particularly loud. And also we do some policy work as well. So that was required to make the laws work better for all shareholders, including retail shareholders.
1: So there've been um, a couple of COVID impacts this year that we're going to be talking about. First of all, it's about virtual meetings. All of of the meetings are virtual. I mean, what's the Shareholders Association's response about that?
0: We've always said that we like what's called a hybrid meeting. That's where you have a physical meeting but you also have an online element so that shareholders from across the country can actually attend the meetings and hear what the directors are saying about their company. And with a virtual meeting, because the company just gets so much control over the meeting, that is very much a pandemic response. We're happy to have virtual meetings under these current circumstances, but we're looking forward to the opportunity in the future of returning to physical and hybrid meetings difficulty with virtual meetings is how do you ask questions? How do you make sure your question is asked by the person at the other end, whether it's the chair or a moderator? How do you know whether your question just failed to go into the system or they've decided they don't want to answer that question? So we've seen there's a lot of goodwill on behalf of companies and they do appear to be putting they're all into making sure that virtual meetings are as close as possible to physical meetings, but we'll be uh, monitoring the progress and reporting on that progress as we go through this season. One of the toughest things is if you don't, if your question's not asked in a real, a physical AGM, you can see the people at the microphone when the microphone is turned off. In an online meeting, you, if there are no questions, you don't know whether they've just not been asked or whether people have decided that they're happy with how things are going, so they're not asking questions. So I think that's going to be a challenge for the year because it's great if you're not usually speaking at AGMs to attend these virtual meetings, but if you're the person who's charged with speaking up, for example, for the shareholders that have given the Australian Shareholders Association their proxy, that is a huge responsibility. And um, I think there's a bit of uh, nervousness about how this will play out. We have actually attended 60 or 80 of these meetings already since March. So we are reasonably experienced, but for each meeting, we'll judge them on their merits.
1: AGMs have been webcast for many years. Over the last six months, has this accelerated the processes that are involved in virtual meetings?
0: Yes, we have. Lots of companies have held hybrid meetings. It's been quite difficult to interleave the physical appearances and the online appearances. Some companies are very good at this and other companies it becomes very clunky and and sometimes it feels like there's almost no point for the hybrid element to exist. It becomes more of a webcast you just listen in. But what we are seeing is that companies are getting better with managing that. And you'll find when people, I mean, all of us have got so much better at Zoom conferences, uh, you, you'll find that people are more comfortable with saying, now we'll take a short break while we wait for the questions to come in from our parties on, online. So I think that as we all get more experienced at managing online communications, that we will we'll actually see better presentations. And people are trying things that don't work and and things that do work. For example, some people have trialled having the CEO and the chair address recorded previously. And that can be seamless or that can make it a little bit like an infomercial. (laughs) A
1: bit too highly produced. (laughs) We want the real thing, don't we?
0: Too highly produced and it doesn't then lead in. People aren't warmed up when they start asking questions or when the chair starts talking about the meeting, there's a tendency to warm up uh, after talking for 15 minutes about your company.
1: Mm. So the other uh, impact of COVID has been um, some directors have become overstretched because of the number of boards that they're on and they're all dealing with the same problems at the same time within multiple companies. Is that um, the way you're seeing it? Yeah,
0: that was one of our big concerns. ASA has long held a belief that directors need to have enough time to fulfil their role and that quite often people will have up to five directorships, which is fine if they're all as planned, easy to manage. But if one or two or three have a crisis at the same time, then the director has to choose which company he or she puts first. With COVID, all companies ended up having to have an emergency response at precisely the same time so you know we haven't seen any particular failures on this but it is something to remember that when you are looking at whether a director has enough time just what will happen if every company has an emergency at the same time which is what we've just experienced Mm.
1: okay so let's move to conduct issues so there's many companies dealing with multiple issues in this space. What are we looking at this season?
0: A couple of the companies that have already held their AGM, so um, QBE and AMP, um, both in the insurance space, the financial services sector, they have both had to deal with sexual harassment cases. And it's been quite public and for AMP was quite harmful to their reputation beyond the actual impact of the behaviour itself, their way of dealing it damaged their reputation to a degree and we've seen the chairman step down and others step down within that organisation. So this has just raised the issue of how a company conducts itself. AMP particularly had said that they were revamping their company's culture and that this wouldn't be the type of thing that would be acceptable going forward. One of the reasons AGMs become a focus of such culture and um, conduct issues is because you get a chance to talk to directors and have them speak to you about how they're dealing with this, how they're going to make sure that it doesn't happen again, that they do actually have a culture that's fit for purpose. With AMP and QBE, they've already had their AGMs. No doubt we will be questioning them on this in public, as well as we had had written to them and questioned them in private over that matter, but we've also seen the CEO from Cleanaway has been uh, called out for allegedly abusive conduct to his workers, and he has declared that he will not be accepting some of the equity awards that were listed on the notice of meeting, and those resolutions have been withdrawn. Conduct is a a serious issue and I I think that at this time it's really being flagged that companies have to really look into it and make sure that the environment is appropriate for workers.
1: I'm quite astonished that in the 21st century that um, sexual harassment is still a a problem in corporate culture. I thought this sort of thing would have been dealt with years ago. Uh,
0: I think that we ended up with having the same volunteer company monitor dealing with both AMP and QBE and at least now he has expertise in talking through these things, but I think everybody is surprised and that is why people feel that it needs to be dealt with properly now. And, you know, we could go into some of the elements behind uh, why it has continued. One of them being, it can often be if there's not sufficient proportion of women within the company, it doesn't get flagged. And those attitudes aren't changed. And, I, I think too, you know, there's all talk about non-disclosure agreements and the like where people have dealt with such issues in the past, but it's all under the cloak of non-disclosure. So nobody learns from the experience as to where the barrier is. Most shareholders want to be able to be proud of the companies they own. It, it's not just that these companies are contributing to our, our wealth or our, you know, for some people it's their pension if you're not on a government pension, these shares deliver you your income for the year. That's all you have. But you want to feel that you're providing capital to something that is worthwhile, as well as they are quitting themselves in a way that will keep you know, meet your expectations for your pension in the next decades to come. And this sort of conduct has been really um, negative. And I think we also saw something similar coming out of the Royal... Commission into Financial Services companies. Well, let's um,
1: let's go on to the, the Royal Commission into Financial Services. What are some of the things that the monitors will be looking at?
0: So the, the big banks, um, in terms of behaviours, what we heard in the Royal Commission into Financial Services, which took place over, you know, in the year 2018, and the report was released in 2019, the behaviours within that group seem to have deviated from uh, what we expected and what even the banks, I think, themselves was it, were expecting. And, again, shareholders felt almost embarrassed that their wealth was coming from the big banks after the clients and the customers had been treated with disregard as probably overstating it, but the systems did not live up to, to the promise for, for those banks. And since then, the banks have had to make redress and they have had to work through um, court cases and the like. There's been fines. One of the things that I find positive, though, is now those companies are reporting on what's called consequence management. So when you've got poor conduct, within the company's annual reports, they actually report how many people were flagged for poor conduct and what the consequences were. And and that leaves people with greater comfort, that transparency leaves people with a greater comfort that they are trying to do the right thing, the companies and the people working for the companies. The employees are left with no pretenses that you can get away with such behaviours And what we're looking for with the companies and their culture is ultimately the employees feel that they can raise concerns and have them addressed rather than, as you mentioned, for example, sexual harassment has gone under the radar and it's surprising it's prevalent in this day and age. And one of the reasons is people had felt that it wouldn't be addressed.
1: How about executive remuneration? Have um, all executives um, been sharing in the pain equally?
0: Some have and some haven't. Um, When we were going through the early months of the pandemics, Alan Joyce, who is the CEO for Qantas, he actually stopped taking his fixed pay for the last part of the year. He's still well remunerated, but he did take a a significant cut in his pay. And other um, companies did something similar. It was some of them have stepped away from variable rewards that they were entitled to under the original expectations for the year. They had hurdles, they met hurdles. It's a bit difficult when you're sacking staff or cutting their hours to be able to stand up and say, hi, uh, I'm taking that. So we have seen some uh, walking away from rewards. The other thing that we have been looking at is whether the companies have been assisted by the government or... The job keeper uh, supplement. Uh, in many cases, that's another reason why executives have walked away from their rewards, while they, or they've carved out that from their results when they look at their performance.
1: Is it is it um, is it difficult to find out how they've carved out um, what's come from the government and what's come from their own um, operating revenue?
0: For some companies, it's less obvious than others. One of the reasons can be because the companies round up. So if you have a couple of hundred million dollars worth of profit or billion, one and a half million dollars of support is actually rounded out. Uh, But many companies are being quite upfront and saying, you know, this is what we've received in JobKeeper this is what we've um, received in government subsidies. The other thing to remember too is that if the companies had more than a billion dollars of revenue to be entitled to JobKeeper, for example, they had to have dropped 50% on the prior 12 months. So it makes it more difficult when you might be looking for a nil return. So the big banks, for example, their assistance was um, not really their assistance, it was more for them passing on benefits to people with loans, so not really assistance to them.
1: So let's have a chat about proxies. What should ASA members be thinking about in terms of um, handing over their proxies to the association?
0: Well, we are really happy to take anyone's proxies, whether they're members or not. In the first instance, we really think people should read all their documentation and choose to have their shares voted. That can be their direct vote if they have an opinion, but I do understand that people find it hard sometimes to figure out whether to vote for or against. For that reason, we carry proxies for anyone who gives them to us, and we have our guidelines on the website, and we put our voting intentions there too for members, and any shares in our name will give us a greater say um, when we're meeting with the companies and the like that For some companies, we are almost equivalent to the top position in the top 20 list of shareholders. So in that circumstance, we get a a better reception, I think, from the chair. Although as representatives of the retail shareholders, we also get a pretty good reception because we collate views. Views filter up um, and our guidelines, for example, are based on our representatives who are authentic retail shareholders.
1: And there's power in numbers.
0: And there is definitely power in numbers. And even if you um, know how you wish to vote, if you give us the proxy, we can also take note of that. So a recent uh, general meeting, for example, 60% of the votes were cast. So we had 40% were open and 60% were against the resolution. And that really tells you how retail shareholders are feeling. So we get some information from votes, actual votes in our proxies, but also we um, take the views of members when they convey them to us.
1: Fiona, thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thank you.